If you were here last week, and you remember, we talked a lot about perseverance. We talked about the need to persevere. Remember the phrase we said over and over last week about persevering? Never give in. Never give up. Never give in. That's how you persevere. You don't give up. You don't quit. We talked about how perseverance needs to have a point and how the point of perseverance is hope. I want to build on that thought this week by talking about confidence in Christ. If we're going to persevere in something, and if that perseverance needs hope, then that hope needs something also to back it up. And what backs that hope up is confidence in Christ Jesus. So we're going to re-examine today some facts about Christ. It's almost like um, what I'd like to do. I'm not presenting a defense because he needs no defense, but just to present a case of why we should have confidence in Christ. We're going to refresh our realization this morning that because of who he is, we can put our confidence in him, our hope in him, and that in him we can persevere. Remember what we said about Winston Churchill last week? He said we have only to persevere to conquer. So to persevere, we've got to have confidence in Christ. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, verse 16, let me read for you verse 16 through 19. It says, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given us both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we have fled to... Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can take new courage, for we can hold on to his promise with confidence. This confidence is like a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Confidence is a good thing, isn't it? The word confidence means full trust in the powers, trustworthiness, or reliability of a person or thing. It's a feeling of trust in someone. It's a belief in one's or another's abilities. Confidence. When we raise our children, we have confidence that we can send them out into the world and that they're going to make right decisions for their lives. If you loan your car to someone, you have confidence that they're going to return that car to you in as good a shape as, they, as, as it left, your possession. You're not going to loan it to someone that you don't have confidence in that's going to do that. We can have confidence in our pastor to lead us, in our pastors to lead us and to help us to grow in our spiritual life. Confidence. We've got to have confidence. We also have to have confidence in ourselves. We have confidence in others. We must have confidence in our own selves. If you go into a job interview with no confidence, there's probably a pretty good chance you're not going to get a second call to come back. There's a good chance they might not want to take a chance on hiring you if you walk in there and don't project some confidence. At work, you have to have confidence. When you're dealing with other people, you need confidence. There are people out there that can sniff that out if you're you know, insecure and not confident, and they can really run all over you. A lack of confidence can cause us to appear weak, timid. People may see us as wishy-washy, as unsuccessful, if we don't have confidence. Now, on the other hand, too much confidence can make us seem arrogant, can make us seem boastful, can make us seem proud, can make us seem unteachable. Have you ever tried to train someone in a job and they just knew more than you did already and they just weren't teachable? That's a very frustrating thing. But overconfidence can do that. Confidence, like so many other things, there needs to be a proper balance to it. Too much confidence or too little confidence in our life each poses its own set of problems. Let's take a young man who begins to notice a young lady and wants to ask her for a date. If he goes to that young lady overconfident, he's probably going to say something stupid and embarrass himself. 
and not get the date. If he has no confidence and walks up to her, he probably will stutter and stammer over what he's trying to say, if he even gets the words out at all. But a young man with the right amount of confidence can walk up to that young lady and in a decent way ask her for a date. And then he can turn around and walk away in a decent way when she shoots him down. <laughs> but, you, but he still has his confidence, okay? Not too much, not too little, but just the right amount. He has confidence, full trust in the powers, trustworthiness, or reliability of a person or thing. Confidence. This is the investment of confidence we need to make in Christ Jesus this morning. Full trust. When you begin to work and you begin to think of retirement, you will. Um, you want to create a retirement portfolio. You want to begin to make investments to save for your retirement. You'll go to a financial planner, an Edward Jones type of person, or something like that. They won't say, "Let's take all of your money and invest it in this one thing." They will tell you the best. Um, course of action for you is to diversify your portfolio. You take your money and invest it in many different things, so if one thing at that time isn't paying off, at least something else probably will be, and that way you can grow your retirement, you can grow those investments. The old don't put all your eggs in one basket, as they used to say. That's how they recommend that you save for retirement. But we must not invest our confidence in the same way. We can't look for many different places to put our confidence in, to invest it in. We can't say, all right, I'll invest 60% of my confidence in Jesus, but the other 40 I'm going to spread out over these other things that I have faith in. Our confidence has to be fully invested, 100% invested in Jesus Christ. Full trust in Him. And the reason we do that and why we can have confidence in Christ is because as Hebrews 6.18 says, He has given us both his promise, and his oath. He's the only one who's ever been able to do that. People can give you their promise, but how many can give you their promise and then back it up with their own oath? They might say it, but how many really have the power to do that? How many have the power to back that up? He's given us both his promise and his oath. His promise tells us what he will do. Then to back it up, he also gives us his oath. His oath gives us absolute guarantee of fulfillment of his promise. That's what his oath does. When he backs up his promise with his oath, he's guaranteeing that what he promised is going to come to pass, that it's going to be fulfilled. Hebrews says these two things are unchangeable. His promise and his oath are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. That means that what he's promised must happen, and it means his oath says that it will happen. You can have complete 100% confidence in that. He's both the one who has the power to make the promise and the power to be the one to guarantee the promise. He's given us his oath, his promise, and his oath. So because he can't lie, and because we can have full confidence in him, let's take a look this morning and refresh ourselves at what he says about himself. Why we can, as I said, we're building a case here. Why can we put our confidence in him? Now, I know you know these things. They're, they're familiar to all of us, but I just want to remind us of them. I want us to encourage us in these things. Sometimes when things get tough, we can forget the simplest things that we've learned from the time we were a child, things we put into practice many times in our life. We can forget them in the heat of the battle. We can forget them in a diff difficult time. So I just want to remind us of those things today because it's our confidence in Christ that's going to give us the hope that we talked about last week, to be able to persevere when things are difficult, when things are hard. The first thing I want to look at that Jesus said about himself, he said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. What a promise. What a promise. Though he were dead, yet shall he live. He's the resurrection and the life. You ever notice how many times Jesus doesn't just offer one thing, but he kind of piles on? The people complain in, in like college football. If one team is really good and one isn't, and they run up the score, they say, well, they're piling on. Well, Jesus piles on. But the way he piles on is in a good way, isn't it? He doesn't just offer one thing. He said he's the resurrection. But not only is he the resurrection, he's also the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus doesn't just give resurrection and life. Jesus is resurrection and life this morning. Because of the finished work of the cross, final death is impossible for him. And because of the work of the cross, final death is impossible for those in him. Our life story that's being written about our life, it doesn't end with our death. The last chapter of that story is that we went to be eternally with Jesus Christ in heaven because he is the resurrection and the life. Think back to Easter morning. What great power was on display that morning when Jesus exploded out of that tomb? What ultimate victory was unleashed when he rose triumphant over death in the grave? What a story. Permanent death was permanently defeated. There's no more sting in death. According to the word, there's no more victory for the grave. They've both been rendered powerless. We still have to face them, but this confidence in Christ allows us to face them with two questions. And the first question is, O death, where is thy sting? The second question is, O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death, the Bible says, is swallowed up in victory. Death may take us, and death will take us. Some, if the Lord tarries long enough, we're all going to face it. Death may take us, but death doesn't beat us. Amen? Amen. That aneurysm my dad had six years ago, you think that thing beat him? You think that won? No. That didn't win. It took him, but it didn't beat him. He was in possession of a one-way ticket to heaven, bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, and all that aneurysm could do was put him on the bus and send him on his way. It may take us, but it doesn't beat us. Naomi, it took Dave, but it didn't beat Dave. It does not beat the one who dies in Christ Jesus. It's rendered powerless. It's lost. Death itself has died because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Death has died. We still have to face it. And frankly, it makes a mess of things for those of us who are left behind. But the death of a saint, it doesn't beat them. It may take them, but it doesn't beat them. It doesn't win over them. Death itself has died because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Put your confidence today in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He promised resurrection, he promised eternal life, and he gave an oath to back it up, to say that it will happen. Though we were dead, yet shall we live. Even though life here is temporary, we are going to live eternally. To those in Christ, physical death is not the end, it's just the beginning. Jesus not only is life, but he conveys life to the believer so that death will never be able to triumph over us. Death to our body is not a victory for the enemy, but it's a terrible, bitter defeat for the enemy. I like to have a picture of death as a saint breathes their last and transfers over into that new realm. And I, I get this picture of death standing there in what should be victory for them, but they're just in total defeat and total disarray, and just in shock. What happened? As they stand there and watch the angels take that person away and deliver them right to the feet of Jesus. I like to think that death has to watch every second of that every time. What a bitter defeat for death. Because though we die, yet shall we live. 
So put your confidence today in the one who is the resurrection and the life. Amen? Amen. The second thing Jesus said about himself I want to look at, John 14, 6. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now, I have a good friend. He's not saved yet, but he worked with me for several years, and now he's working for a different company. But he always wanted to talk... um, Things of the Bible and things of the Lord would constantly come up in our conversation. He was just, he was just so curious about everything and wanted to know. And his knowledge about the Lord was nothing. I mean, we were, I don't remember um, how we got into this particular conversation, but I said once, well, do you know the story about David and Goliath? And he said, well, I've heard of them. I mean, he, his parents were separated. I don't know that the man ever attended a Sunday school class a day in his life. He has no knowledge, no training, no teaching of the things of the Bible. So he was just like a sponge. He'd just absorb anything. And he'd have all these questions. And they'd just come out of nowhere. He'd call me. He was a salesman. And he'd call me when he was on the road. Hey, I heard this on the radio. What does this mean? Or I saw this sign. What, what does this mean? And he called me once, kind of confused. And he said, hey, I'm driving down the road. And I saw a sign. And it had the Bible verse on it. And it said, the sign said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Who said that? He said, that sounds kind of arrogant to me. <laughs> That's, you know, not understanding that someone would have the guts to say, I'm the only one. I'm the only way. That sounds arrogant to me. Well, I said, well, I said, it's not arrogant if it's true. You know, and then I went on to explain to him, you know, that, that that was Jesus. And because of what he did, he has the power and the authority to say that. But I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Put your confidence in that. Amen. The way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said that he's the way. People claim today that there's many ways to be saved. Many paths to salvation. Islam, you can get saved if you're a, if you're a disciple of Islam. Buddhism, Hinduism, meditation. All these different ways, all these different gates to get to God, to get to salvation. But Jesus said there's only one way. Amen. Muhammad can't save you this morning. Harry Krishna can't save you. Buddha can't save you. The Dalai Lama can't save you. They may promise that they can save you, but not one of them have the power to back that promise up with their own oath. Only Jesus Christ has that power. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. Why does there need to be only one indispensable truth today? There needs to be only one indispensable truth because the world is full of lies. In John 8, Jesus speaking of the devil said he is a liar and the father of it. There's many lies today, but there's only one truth. Jesus made it clear that he's the truth. He also said that he's the life. There are many options for the kinds of life we can lead. We don't have to lead a life rooted and grounded in one way, one truth, one life. There's many options for different kinds of life, but they're not going to be the kind of life promised and swore by an oath if we abide in the one way, the one truth, and the one life this morning. There's only one way and one truth to abundant life. John 10.10, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That's the only way to have abundant life. There's only one way and one truth to a joy unspeakable and full of glory kind of life. In 1 Peter 1.8, it says, you love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him, you trust him. And even now you are happy with a glorious, inexpressible joy. It's, I don't know... You know, real joy in Christ, I don't know if even those words do it justice. 
glorious, inexpressible joy, joy unspeakable, a joy so great that you can't even speak about it, you can't even put words to it, you just maybe sometimes have to live through it. There are no words sometimes. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. One way and one truth to eternal life. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. One way, one truth, one life. When we accept and follow his way and his truth, then we can experience his life. But only when we accept his way and his truth can we have his life. As I said, there's a lot of other ways of life and kinds of life we can experience, but only through Christ's way and only through Christ's truth can we experience his life. It's like a math equation. It's basically as simple as one plus one equal two. If you take my way, Jesus says, and you take my truth, then you will have my life. Very simple equation. What's more, Jesus took the greatest gift known to man, and he literally made it foolproof. You can't mess it up. It's so simple. We can't mess it up. If we want it, we only have one option to choose from. Not many ways, but one way. You ever go into a restaurant and you open up a menu, and there's page after page after page of choices, and a half a dozen of them look good to you, and you send the waitress away two or three times because you just can't decide what you want. There's too many options. There's too many choices. If you open it up, and in the middle it said meatloaf, and that was all that was there, you'd say, I'll have the meatloaf. It's easy. It's foolproof ordering a meal when there's one choice. Well, that's how salvation is. There's only one choice. The greatest thing ever, new life in Christ and eternal life in heaven with Jesus. There's only one option. There's only one choice. There's only one way to it. The only way to mess this up is to not pick it. That's the only way you can mess this up, is to not choose the one choice that's laid out in front of us. Not accepting Christ as the one way is, I think it's similar to if you haven't eaten for three, four days, you'd be really hungry. And someone brings you into their home and sets you down at the table, and they set one meal out in front of you, a meal that will do everything for you that you need at that moment. It'll satisfy your hunger. It'll bring nutrition to your body. It'll satisfy that craving that's within you. One meal, one choice, and you sit there at that table, just ravaged by hunger after three, four days of not eating, and you look at that meal, and you push it away, and you get up and leave the table and walk out of the room, and you go out into the world and look for a meal to satisfy your hunger. That's what it's like to not accept the one way, the one truth, the one life that Jesus Christ offers to us. The only way for man to satisfy the longing in his soul is to accept the one way to Christ that Jesus has provided. Yet when presented with it, sadly, many times, man will push it away, he'll get up, he'll walk away from the table, he'll leave the room, he'll go out into the world, and he'll look for something to satisfy the longing in his soul when it was right in front of him. Jesus made it foolproof. He made it foolproof. Put your trust this morning in the one who provided one way, one truth, and one life for us and made it simple. Jesus said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. What bread is to the natural body, Christ is to the soul. He nourishes our soul and our spirit. He strengthens it. He satisfies our spiritual life with good things. The bread of life preserves us from death. There are so many people, sadly, in the world today, they're spiritually starving because they either haven't discovered the bread of life or they don't partake of the bread of life. They're spiritually starving. They've been pulled this way and that and distracted by other things that claim to satisfy that longing, that claim to satisfy that hunger. They're spiritually malnourished. 
Now, today is a great day because it's the beginning of football season. Okay. Actually, it started Thursday night, but the first full Sunday of games is today. I like football. I really do. I don't watch it as much as I used to. Um, I had to kind of back away from it because I, I noticed myself when the team I wanted to win wasn't winning, I didn't like it very much to the point where I let it affect my mood, my attitude, everything. When the team I didn't like was winning, I didn't handle that real well either. So, so what I do now, and I think I've told you this before, I try and pick games where I don't care about the outcome, where I can just watch two teams go at it and enjoy football. That's how I enjoy football. Now, tonight, I'm, there's a game on. I think it starts about 7.30 tonight. It's probably the third game of the day. I may sit down and watch that game tonight. If I sit down to watch that game, for me, perfection, as I'm sitting on the couch watching the game, is a bag of chips, a bottle of Pepsi, and a box of Milk Duds. That sounds, that sounds really good to me. It just doesn't sound like that can be beat. And I've done that in the past. And I got the proof right here that I've done that in the past. But as good as that sounds, and as good as that is, there's that meal that I just described to you, there's no nourishment in that whatsoever for my body. There's no, there's no food value for it. There's no nutrients in it. If that's all I ever eat, there's going to come a day when I'm going to be in big trouble physically. If that's the only kind of meal I ever eat, I'll be malnourished. Our bodies need the right type of food and the right variety of food to be nourished. So does our spirit. We need the bread of life for our spirits to be nourished. So take confidence today in the one who provides and the one who is the bread of life. Jesus said in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. The darkness of this world leads to death, but the light of Christ leads to life. Psalm 119, 105 says, The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You cannot, we're talking about confidence this morning, you cannot walk down a dark path with confidence. If, if, if at midnight tonight, any one of us goes out into a field that we've never been in before, you're not going to just go striding through that field with confidence. You're going to, it's pitch black, you can't see, you're going to kind of, inch one foot out, make sure there's no rock that you're going to step on, that you're going to twist your ankle on, fall down, make sure there's not a hole you're going to step on, make sure there's not a fence there that you're going to get entangled in. We take one cautious step out in the dark, and then we don't stride into another step. We just catch up with that foot, and then we'll take another halting, unconfident step out, and then we'll catch up. We can't walk confidently in a dark path. We just can't do it. We have to feel it out, take those little steps. But you add a flashlight to that situation where you can illuminate what's right at your feet. And you can hold it out in front of you and illuminate the path before you. And then even though there's darkness all around you, and even though it's a path, a place that you're unfamiliar with, you can walk through that path and through that place in total confidence because your way's been illuminated. This is what Jesus does for us. He's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So it is with our spiritual life. When the light of God's word illuminates our next step, when it illuminates the path out in front of us, we can walk through this life with confidence. Because he says, I am the light of the world. Jesus said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. We have a shepherd. We have a leader. We have a redeemer who watches over every step we take. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Now, for some people, that can be comfort. For some people, that may make you nervous, knowing that he sees every step. But it doesn't change the fact that we have a shepherd who watches over every step that we take. 
Every step is watched over. That should cause us to walk with confidence today. This isn't a job to the shepherd. We all know what it's like to have jobs. We all know how we feel about those jobs some days. Some days we love those jobs. Some days our enthusiasm could be described as a little bit less than love. Maybe some days a lot less than love. But the point is, some days it is just a job to us. Being a shepherd to us is not a job to the shepherd. We have good days and bad days, but he never has a bad day. He never has an off day. Our shepherd watches over us in perfect love. The shepherd's relationship to us is personal. John 10.3 says he calls his own sheep by name. You are not just one of the herd this morning. You're not one of the herd. When God wants to talk to you, when he wants to say something to you, he doesn't say, 47, over here now. He calls you by name. Out of millions and millions and millions of sheep that he has, when he wants to minister just to you, he calls you by name. He says, Brandon, come here. He does it in a position of invitation, of invite. Not in order, but in invitation. He calls you by name, lovingly, not sharp. You ever heard of a sharp, your name called sharply by your parents? Doesn't call us that way. It's invitation. Lovingly speaks our name. You're not one of the herd. He'll personally call you to minister you, to nurture you. He'll call you for relationship. He'll call you for fellowship. He'll call you by your name. And because of the relationship we have and because of the confidence we have in him, we know his voice. We don't have to worry, is this a, is this a contrary voice? Is this a stray voice? Is this the word of the enemy? No. Because of our relationship with Jesus Christ, because of the confidence that we invest in him over time, we know his voice when he calls our name. We don't have to worry about which voice to follow. We know and follow and recognize the voice of our shepherd. There's no enemy that can take us away from the good shepherd. John 10, 28, Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. So no one can take them from me. There's no enemy that can take us away from the good shepherd. Now, because of our will and because we have the freedom to choice, to make a choice, we can turn and walk away from the provision and the protection of the shepherd. And we can walk right into the lair of the enemy and everything that contains and all the hazards that that possesses. But there is no enemy in heaven or earth powerful enough to walk up from the shepherd and take you from his care by force. It cannot happen. It can't be done. He's a good shepherd. You feel confident in Christ today? In knowing what he is? Amen. Now, because we, have Christ, because we have confidence in what Christ said he is, we can also be confident in what Christ said he will do. Once we understand and realize who he is and what he is to us and what relationship with him and confidence in him brings to us, we then can also be confident in what he said he can do. Some of the things he'll tell us we can do and some of the things he asks us to do seem impossible. But because he of what he is. We can be confident also in what he will do. One of the first things he said he's going to do, or the first thing we're going to look at anyway, in Matthew 4.19, Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men. Now what does that have to do with confidence? Well, I'll tell you. Once you become saved, whether you know it or not, and whether you like it or not, you become a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, whose business it is to win souls to Christ. That's our business once, our saved, once we're saved. 
to become a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to spend your life behind a pulpit. Some of you might. Most of you won't. Being a minister of the gospel does not mean you stand in a pulpit every Sunday. But in Christ, we take on both a duty and a responsibility to share the good news of the gospel with other people. And the reason it's all of our responsibility is that each one of us every day go to places that the rest of us don't go to. Maybe we can't go to them. You're the only one in this building that goes to that place each and every day. Every day, each one of us sees people that the rest of us may not see and probably will never meet. So we have a responsibility as a child of God to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's going to make us fishers of men. We have a responsibility both to tell them about the good news of the gospel, and we have a responsibility to display in our lives conduct that lines up with the gospel. We have that responsibility. We witness to people by what we say and do, but we also witness to people by the things we don't say and by the things we don't do. That's how we share the gospel. All right? I'm not saying you've got to go out and beat them over the head with the Bible until they get the truth in them. We don't have to do that. But if they're struggling with something... And, and really open it up. And, you know, maybe you've all heard words like, I, I just don't know where to turn. I don't know what to do. I, I don't know how to handle the situation. Maybe you've experienced the same thing in your life in a previous situation. You can, as the door opens and as the opportunity presents itself, you can share with that person how your faith. You can't, you know, you don't have to point a finger at him and say, you know, you're lost if you don't receive Christ right now. But we can look at him. And say, you know, this is how my faith helped me through this situation. As I said, being a minister of the gospel isn't standing up here and preaching every Sunday. It's the, it's the touch and it's the effect that you have on the lives of people around you. You can share with them how your faith helped you through a situation. If we're the ones struggling with something and there's other people around us, we don't have to get mad and yell and swear and start throwing things to deal with our situation. We can handle it in a way that's different than what they're used to seeing. That can be a witness and a ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ into people's lives. There's many ways to witness, but each one of us are ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that takes confidence. And you and I and every one of us have had times in our life when the Lord's asked us to do something, we've had reasons why we can't do it. And we've had excuses why we can't do it. Moses had all sorts of excuses why he couldn't go into Egypt when God called him. Moses said, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who shall I say sent me? Well, they won't believe me. They're not going to believe anything I said. I'm not a good speaker. Lord, please send somebody else. Have you ever had a conversation with the Lord and said, please send somebody else. I don't want to do this. I can't do this. Moses had excuses, but God had answers. Moses said, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? God said, I will be with you. Moses said, who shall I say sent me? God said, tell him I am has sent me to you. Moses said, they won't believe me. God said, perform this sign. They'll believe you. Moses said, but I'm not a good speaker. The Lord said, I'll help you to speak well. Moses said, Lord, please send someone else. God said, Aaron will help you. Moses had excuses, but God had reasons. God had answers. So don't lose your confidence if God has called you to do something. Remember, I've said it before. God will call you to do nothing that he won't strengthen you to do and that he won't equip you to do. Amen? Amen. He'll do what he said he's going to do. 
Be confident today that God will give you rest. Various places in Scripture, there are invitations for us to come and receive various things from the Lord. Rest is one of those things that we can receive. You can have confidence in Christ. You can persevere with hope. But let's face it, some days you just need a break. You just need to get away from the struggle for a day, from the heat of the battle for a day, or for a period of time. You just need to rest. And Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 30, Come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come unto me, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's an invitation. That's invitation. Be confident that God will give you rest today if you need rest. Rest is a gift of Christ to the believer. It's a gift. It's a gift. You can't find rest. You can't find peace anywhere else sometimes. Rest is a gift of God to believers. Rest is to cease from labor in order to recover and renew strength. It's to refresh. Sometimes in the battle, you need a period of time to recover from the scars and the wounds and the exhaustion of the battle. Sometimes you need your strength renewed. Sometimes you need to be refreshed. God promises that he will give us rest in the midst of the battle. Be confident today that God will give you rest. Be confident today that Jesus Christ is building his church. It may not look at sometimes when we see the things going on in this country and the world, but Jesus Christ is building his church. In Matthew 16, 18, he says, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. The course this nation is on today can't stop Jesus from building his church. The Islamic terrorists cannot stop Jesus from building his church. The redefinition of marriage in our country cannot stop Jesus from building his church. Churches that don't preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified anymore cannot stop Jesus from building His church. Those who don't believe in the virgin birth, those who don't believe in the Bible as the infallible Word of God, those who don't believe in the erection of Jesus Christ can't stop Jesus from building His church. It's going to be built. A government that rejects principles this nation was founded on cannot stop Jesus from building His church. A president who said this country is no longer a Christian nation cannot stop Jesus from building His church. All the powers of hell cannot stop Jesus from building His church. Amen? He's building His church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And also be confident that one day Jesus will come again. John 14.3 says, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We sang today, soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Well, they've been singing that since that song was wrote 40 or 50 years ago. They were talking about that 100 years before that and more. But yet, soon and very soon, we're going to see the king. Amen. One way or another, we're going to see the king. Be confident that he did go, that he's going to come again. He said, because I go. I will come again. He gives his promise. He gives his oath. Because I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. So we can be confident today in not only who Jesus is, but in the things he said that he'd do. Remember in Hebrews, I read when I started, this confidence is like a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It's a strong and trustworthy anchor. You know, we talk... And I, 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 I'm not trying to be negative, so I hope it don't sound like that. We talk a lot about the election. And woe is me about the election. And what are we going to do if either one of these people assumes the office of president? Well, let me tell you something today. This nation has a lot bigger problems facing it than who's sitting in the White House come January. It really does. There's a lot bigger problems facing this country than that. That's a problem. But there's a lot bigger problems. This nation has slid so far 
away from God, there's a lot bigger problems facing it than who sits in the White House in January. A nation that was built in Iraq has willingly removed itself from that firm foundation and it's placed itself on a foundation of sand. Almost 30 years ago, President Ronald Reagan said, and you know, sometimes we look back and think, boy, 30 years ago looked pretty good you know, in the mid-80s to compare to how the country looks right now. But 30 years ago, President Reagan said, if we ever forget that we are one nation under God, we will be a nation gone under. He also said, without God, democracy will not and cannot endure. He knew what the principle of this country was founded on. What this, I mean, this was an experiment, basically, when this country was founded. He knew what this country was founded on. And he said, without that, this nation cannot endure. But President Reagan also said, within the covers of the Bible are the answers for all the problems men face. Do you believe that this morning? Do you have that much confidence in Christ that you know that in this book are all the answers to every problem man faces? We have to believe that. That's confidence in Christ. To know that no matter how things look in this nation, no matter how far this country slid, no matter who's sitting in the White House, the answers are here. The answers are not in whoever wins this election in November. The answers are not in a Congress that kind of makes it up as it goes lately, I guess, if they get anything done at all. The answer isn't in those people. The answers are here. The answers are in Christ Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection and the life, the good shepherd, the light of the world. That's who the answer's in, and that's who our 100% full trust and full confidence needs to be in today. Within the covers of the Bible are the answers for all the problems we face. That old song, in times like these, we need an anchor. This confidence we have in Christ is that anchor. It's like a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. So put your confidence in Christ today because no matter what, that anchor is going to hold. No matter what, the anchor of Jesus Christ is going to hold in the problems in your life. Persevere in your beliefs. Persevere through your struggles. Persevere in your battles. Never give in. Never give up to the enemy. Persevere with hope. Hope has, perseverance has to have a point, I mean, and the point of perseverance is hope. So perseverance in hope. Let hope be part of your perseverance, but have hope and have confidence in Jesus Christ. Put your confidence in who he is, put your confidence in what he is, and put your confidence in what he said he would do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand this morning. Father, we just thank you this morning for your promises to us and your oath to us, Lord God, that you will perform what you said. We thank you that you cannot lie, Lord God, so your promises are true. Lord, they're going to come to pass. We thank you for that. We thank you for everything that you said about yourself, that it's true, that it's unmovable, that it's unchangeable. We thank you for all the things you said you're going to do, Lord God, both in your church, in our lives individually. We just thank you for it all, Lord God. Help us today, Lord God, to persevere. Lord, help our perseverance to be rooted in hope and help our hope to be rooted in confidence in Jesus Christ this morning. We thank you for it, Lord. We just pray for our, our pastors once more, Lord God, that uh, wherever they're at in the journey, that you just bring them the rest of the way safely home, Lord God. We just thank you for a time of rest and relaxation for them, but we thank you, Lord, for returning them safely to us. I ask that you'd bless this people this week, Lord. Dismiss us now in Jesus' name. Amen.